redemption. God, we would hear the story of your love, Father, that we would hear the story of your sacrifice, Father, that we tonight would give honor and glory to you, Father, as we prepare to, 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 to feast at your table, Father. I pray that you would be in the midst of each and every person that hears my voice tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn with your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 23, verse 32. And as I mentioned to the saved, to those of us that are Christ followers, there's no greater Friday than this Friday. For Christians, for Christians today, uh, there should be a deeper meaning to thank God it's Friday. For us, there's a different meaning to thank God it's Friday. But what is so good about this Friday, some of us may be asking. What's so good about this Friday? What is so good about Good Friday? There's one word, the cross. And there's one meaning, redemption, that comes out of this day that we celebrate. A sinless man paid a debt that he did not owe for people who had a debt for which they could not pay. That is what Good Friday means to us. Charles Spurgeon said this, The preaching of the gospel without the cross is the laughing stock of hell. And so we recognize what the cross means to us as Christians today. And to understand the cross, to truly have the cross planted in our hearts, we must acknowledge ownership of our place on the cross. We must acknowledge ownership, not that we made a sacrifice. Not that we made a sacrifice on the cross. Because only Christ, only Jesus himself can claim the sacrifice that was made on the cross. But I'm talking about the pixels within the cross. Now some of you may go, what, what, is, a, what is a pixel? Now a pixel, if you have a cell phone, if you have a TV nowadays, if you go to the movies, if you have an iPad or anything, your device, your particular device, by any picture that you look at, is functioned on pixels. It is provided to you by Pixels. For some of you, you may have seen, well, there's a, fa a real popular TV commercial out right now, and it's got a bunch of people dressed up in a bunch of different colors, and they're talking, they're talking, and at one particular point, they all go, ah, sports are on, and the camera zooms out, and it's a, and it's a football player playing, or if you, if you go to BJ's, if you have a BJ's account, right? If you walk into BJ's now, they have their 700-foot TV in front, and it looks like everything is fake, because what they've done is they've added a fourth color to pixelization, which means everything is brighter and it stands out. But the thing about pixels is it's a minute area of illumination. It is the tiniest of tiniest uh, area of illumination on a display or a screen. They're small little dots that make up the images on, on your computer displays, your TVs, and so on and so forth. And they're very, very, very tiny. And our place on the cross is within the pixels of the cross. You see, the cross is Christ's, but we were pixels on that cross of how cross saw us in that sacrifice that he made. Each one of us are one of the millions of dots that, that consist of it. And tonight I want to focus on one area of the story. There are so many different areas that we can talk about on the crucifixion of Christ. There's so many different points that we can go, but I want to talk about, I want to talk about one particular area, and, 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 and I want to speak of the two thieves tonight. I want to talk about the two men that were by Jesus' side on that fateful night, and I, and I want to entitle my sermon tonight, the, perfect man, or the Doubting Man, the Perfect Man, and the Desperate Man. The doubting man, the perfect man, and the desperate man. Because uh, side by side by Jesus, there were two men. One aligned on the left, and there was one aligned on the right. And it's a story that's symbolically demonstrated in every church, every single week. Even tonight, we have doubters in the room. Some of you have been dragged here by parents. Some of you have been guilted here. Some of you have been forced here. 
And some of you make it a tradition to come each and every uh, Good Friday and possibly Easter, and then we'll see you again around Christmas. And for some of us, we live life of doubt. We have doubters and we have desperate people in the house tonight, I believe. And, you'll ask, and if you walk outside of these doors, how you choose to respond to the message of the cross tonight is where you are choosing to align with the cross tonight. How you choose to respond to the cross is, is, is completely a conjective to how you align yourself with the cross. And whether you're aligning yourself to the right or to the left of the cross. And on the side of the desperate, or on the side of the doubt, what side of the cross do you go on as we go further into the story? Because we know that Jesus is the only absolute center. Every week, once a year, we come with doubting or desperations. And as we, we leave, sometimes we live a life of doubt. And I'm not speaking to just people who come maybe once a year. I'm speaking to people who might come every single week. But your life, the way you, you may profess Christ, but the way you live your life is on that side of doubt of the cross. Where your life is not truly living this life that is in the center, understanding that is out of desperation, knowing that, the Christ, that, that Christ is right next to you. That we live, uh, we live out of doubt or desperation. In Luke chapter 23, turn with me in your Bibles to verse 32 through 43, and we're going to read this uh, particular scripture, and it says this in verse 32, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And, in his, and, in, and an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew that read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hung next to him blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do, not, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same con condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So let's track back a little bit as we look at this story. In looking at the two thieves, we have to look at three specific points within this story that I want to kind of unwrap for you in a short amount of time here. But as we look at the cross, we have to understand this, that we must find support. We must find comfort in our own hearts as believers in the fact that the cross that took him was the cross that could not hold him. A cross that took him was a cross that could not hold him. And in several days we're going to celebrate that particular fact. Considering the fact that the crucifixion is without question the most humiliating and degrading form of public death ever devised. In Isaiah 52, hundreds of years before, begins to say this in verse uh, 52, verse 14. It says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. It was a very slow and agonizing death. Often it would last for days, as the, di the victim died more from suffocation than from bleeding. Furthermore, being hung uh, naked in public uh, alongside what they would pick was the most well-traveled roads. 
at that particular time. They would pick places that they knew had a high volume of people walking through them at that particular time. Fully exposed like a carcass hanging on a rack is what they would do with the crucifixion at those times. The victim experienced long hours of pain, utter humiliation. Crucifixion was not only ugly, but it was absolutely inhumane. Jews never used crucifixion. Very, very rarely they did. For them, it was always a thing of stoning. Crucifixion was prescribed only to the lowest level of criminals at that particular time. It was, it was, it was, it was uh, kept for slaves. It was kept for um, rarely Roman citizens, but it was also for, for thieves. And it was a humiliating death. But we understand that for Christ to fulfill the scriptures, it was absolutely necessary. To show how this was fulfillment of prophecy, one of the things that we have to do is we have to begin to break down the scriptures of what they look like and we have to understand of why we celebrate this and why we celebrate Easter are of utmost importance. We know that the scriptures say this and they begin to complement each other. In Psalm 41 verse 9, it has begun to be prophesied. It says this, Even my close friend in whom I, am, whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. We know that to be Judas, who was in his inner circle. Scripture says that there was silence in the face, face of accusations. And it was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 7. It said, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. And we see as Jesus acted upon that in Mark 15, 4, it says, And Pilate was questioning him again, saying, Do you make no answer? See how many charges they bring against you, but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. We begin to see prophesy, uh, a prophecy becoming fulfilled here. Another example is that the Messiah would suffer no broken bones. In Psalm 34:20, it said this, it prophesies this, that he shall keep all his bones. Not one of them shall be broken. Listen to the fulfillment in John chapter 19, 32 and 33. It says, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. It did not break his legs. And we get to the main core, where it talks about he has been hung between two thieves. As we begin to look at how prophecy was fulfilled through this incredible night in Isaiah 53, 12, it says this, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Now this passage is known for its interpretation by Christians to be prophecy of the coming Christ. Being written between five and seven hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus, which shows the importance of the two thieves. Because without these two men there, a huge portion of prophecy leaves unfulfilled. But these two men, these two different men are sitting there at this particular cross point. And we look at the characters, and in this most defining moment, what I find absolutely interesting, what I find absolutely fascinating, at the moment where the greatest prophecy is coming to be, uh, to be fulfilled, he wasn't alone, he wasn't amongst the rich, he wasn't amongst the noble, he was sandwiched between two thieves. 
He was sandwiched between two thieves. Now, 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 now sometimes we'll look at the story and we'll see that, that, that the one man who begins to blaspheme him and mock him, and then we think so, so highly of the other man because he, he found Christ and he saw it there. But if you begin to look at the Gospels and their coordination of how they work, the Gospels actually break it down where they say in, in, um, in, in Matthew chapter 27, it says, even the robbers who were crucified with him revealed him. Matthew chapter 7, 27 <coughs> through 44. And in Mark 15, 32, it says, even those who were crucified with him revealed him. In, in Mark 15, 32. But the account that we read in Luke says of how the other guy had basically said, had looked at him and had basically said, we get what we deserve. Why are you talking about him? Because we begin to see a change of heart. We begin to see a change of heart in one of the people who are on the cross. And what I want to implore you tonight is some of you are in here and for years and for years and for years, the lifestyle you've been living has been of doubt. And the lifestyle that you've been living has maybe been near Christ. You maybe are near enough to Christ that you think you could believe, but you are totally on the other side of that cross. You are totally on the other side of that cross. And what we get from this second thief is that chance to make it right, that chance to, that chance to go from doubt to desperation for Christ to infuse our hearts. As we begin to look, and we, we see the change of hearts. Both men came doubting, but the other left desperate and complete. We look at the conclusion. We begin to see the conclusion of it all. J.C. Ryle says this wonderful quote, and I love it. It says, of all the multitude of saved souls, none ever received so glorious an assurance of salvation as did this penitent thief. Go over the whole list from Genesis to Revelation, and you will find none who had such words spoken to them as these. Today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And when did this happen? This is where it gets amazing. When did this happen? It happened when the whole nation had denied Christ. Remember, a week or five days before they had been praising him, and now everybody turned against him, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had begun to condemn him and found him guilty of death, even his own disciples, even his inner core, had run from him. Even the closest of them, the transgressors, all of them, had, 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 all of the disciples, all of the followers, all of these people had left from them. And when he was hanging, faint, bleeding, and dying on the cross, he was numbered with the transgressors, accursed for us. This was the hour, this was the hour that I find fascinating because it was in this hour that the, the thief chose salvation. When everybody had abandoned Christ, one man, one man said, forgive me. One man said, forgive me. Such rarely a faith we have ever seen. When the world denied, whether by action or by non-action, the thief was the first to believe. It was a desperate thief who abandons at the last moment his faithless life to be joined with Christ. Think about it. The disciples had seen it all. The disciples had seen him heal the sick. The disciples had seen him heal the blind. The disciples had seen him raise the dead. The disciples had seen him calm the waters. Feed the 5,000. Raise Lazarus. The disciples had seen all that. 
The man on the cross saw none of it. The man next to him, the guy who was doubting, saw none of it. The man next to him who came with a doubting heart, he saw one thing. One thing that should be precious to every single professing Christian in the world. He saw one thing. He saw the blood of Christ. That is what he saw. He saw the blood of Christ firsthand. He had seen it. He had seen it for himself, and at that particular point, he knew what he needed to do to make right. The dying thief had seen that, and it was enough for him. And it was enough. He saw no scepter. He saw no royal crown. He saw no outward dominion. He saw no glory, no majesty, no power, no sounds of might. He only saw blood. And yet the dying thief that believed, and, looked, and, 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 and we know, was promised the kingdom. He was promised the kingdom. And we have learned that we can be saved even at the very hour of death. And yet this is not reality for all. It comes down to a matter of your faith. It comes down to a matter of your desperation. It comes down to are you living a life of desperation or are you living a life of doubt? And it's never too late to repent and to announce your faith in Jesus. And still today we're now faced with the exact same, same thing. The centrality of the cross is always and will always will be reserved for, reserved for Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And we are either on the right side or we, are on the, or we are on the wrong side. We are either on the right side or on the wrong side. But make no mistake tonight, if you hear my voice, you are on a side. You are on a side of the cross. You are on a side of the cross. And so we have a challenge and we have a promise. As we begin to prepare to, 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 to eat at the Lord's table, what I implore for you to do is I implore that you would check your hearts tonight. I want everybody in this place to close your eyes with me right now. Because at the conclusion of this story and the beauty of this story and the beauty of hearing the two men on the cross is the chance that we, we, we understand that there is hope for us. That there is hope for us. That prophecy has been fulfilled and redemption is near. Redemption is for us all. And our part, our challenge comes out of Luke chapter 29 and it says this, He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. And through the challenge that Christ gives us to take up our own cross, we receive a promise that comes out of Revelation 1, verse 5 through 6. And it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's your blood that cleanses.